Well, hey everyone, it's good to see you. Happy Halloween. I, I see Chloe's the only one dressed up, I think. I think just a little cute little, is that a bee? Oh my goodness, look back there. If you're having a bad week, you just look over there and it all melts away. Oh my goodness, so beautiful. No one else dressed up though. Okay, I was gonna dress up in a Halloween costume. Remember 4th of July, I did a whole thing. Some of you have tried to forget that. But uh, I'm gonna be Neil Diamond tonight. And I, I decided against dressing up for the sermon. So the metallic red pants that I'm wearing, they're quite tight. Some may say inappropriately tight. So I decided I may not wear those while I preach. But later on this evening, if you're down in the Riviera Village, if you want a few lines from Sweet Caroline, you just come my way, okay? And there's going to be a lot of chest hair. I'm talking like a, I'm going to brush it out. It's really going to, okay, so... You're like, I brought a friend to church today. Why are you talking like this? Okay, I'll stop now, but happy Halloween. It's good to be with you. Um, so I wanna start off this morning. If it hasn't been weird already, it will get weirder. Here's a, here's a weird question to start a sermon with. When was the last time you were in a street fight? Now think about it. Hopefully it was a long time ago, but think about it. When's the, I'm not talking about like a Twitter battle or like a passive-aggressive tension at a family dinner. I mean, like, full-on, you are in a physical altercation, okay? When was the, think about that for a moment. Street fight. Mine was in junior high. It did not go well. I'm not going to talk about it. But for whatever reason, I, I consider myself like a lover, not a fighter, right? I'm a dainty man, okay? I have, and I'm not kidding you, I have a 90s love song playlist that I go to sleep to almost every night. Bray, am I lying right now? No, I'm not lying. My wife will tell you the truth. It's like, and I swear by the moon and the stars and the sky. I'll be there. There's some Mariah in there. You better believe Whitney Houston's making a big appearance. Michael Bolton. Come on. Yeah, thank you, Heidi. If you don't get a woot from Michael Bolton, we're not living, people. So I'm not a fighting kind of guy, right? But for whatever reason, I've been attracted to combat sports. I know. My whole body looks like a weapon. It makes sense, right? No. Like, I've been attracted to combat sports. When I was in junior high and high school, I did wrestling. When I was in um, freshman year of college, I did boxing. Boxing. And more recently, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Any, any Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners out there? Let's see. Kyle, you can put your hand up. Kyle, you're a blue belt. Put your hand up. Anyone else? No? Okay. Now, there's something about being in a high-risk moment. There's something about being in like a physical, kind of semi-dangerous moment that is revealing about you. Okay? Now, for me, every... Every, almost other than wrestling, every other combat sport, I was just the new guy in it. And I got beat up pretty much the whole time. But there's this, this old saying, it's an old kind of military strategy saying, which is no strategy survives first contact with the enemy. No strategy survives first contact with the enemy. Mike Tyson had a, a spin on it that I, I like better. He says, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Right? There's something about, like, okay, I'll do this, and I'll do that, and you kind of, I don't know if, ladies, I don't know if you do this, but, like, I know, I think a lot of guys do this, I hope, well, I hope I'm not alone in it, 
like fantasize about being a hero in a situation. Like you're somewhere and something's going bad and you're like, I step in and I handle the situation. Ernesto, you know what I'm talking about. Look at him. He he's totally thinks about that all the time. Like that's, but then you get into the situation and adrenaline's there. And for me, for example, in boxing, my first fight, my first actual boxing match, when you're done with the training, like, okay, I'm going for it. You're in the little ex exhibition match. And I'm, there was not, it was a community college. There wasn't weight classes. It wasn't like they ordered us well. They just literally threw me against randomly a dude who was like twice my size and a beast, right? And I'm out there and I'm, I'm like, he punches, I put my gloves up, he punches me. It, my glove hits my face so hard, right? And I'm like, I, the rest of the fight, I'm just turning my back like this, which is the worst thing you could do. But my default setting is like fetal position. Like, save me, Jesus. Get me out of here. I can't handle this, right? Or in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Like, jiu-jitsu, the whole point is chill. It's to out-chill your opponent. Right? If you, you would think like all oh, these are like MMA guys, they're all burly and angry. No, people that have done Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for a long time are the most chill people you'll ever meet. They're just like, yeah. So in a grapple, your goal is to relax, use as little energy as possible. So when I finally tested for my belt that allowed me to be able to compete in these situations, and I'm in my first actual full on grapple. I just kind of, the guy's on top of me, like suffocating me. There's folds of flesh, just sweaty flesh on my face. And I just panic and I'm just as hard as I can. I'm pushing, I'm looking for the escape room door. I'm like, get me out of this. I'm doing exactly what I'm not supposed to do. Cause there's something about like first contact with the enemy, right? That it reveals your instincts, all your elaborate strategies, your one, two, three, and then I do this, all those things go out the window and you kind of fall back on what's the deepest rooted part of you. You fall back on instincts, your sort of factory settings, whatever those are, are what come up in the middle of a fight. And this morning I, t I entitled this sermon, Jesus in a Street Fight. I just wanted to be provocative and see if I can get some more people to come to church. Jesus in a street fight. But we've been looking at Jesus of Nazareth and his interaction with the sacred traditions of the house of Israel, the, what we call the Old Testament. And this week, we're going to look at a, a, a quick episode where Jesus gets in a full-on, no-holds-barred, gnarly street fight. Okay, so... If you would like to follow along by listening, you can. I'm going to open up Matthew's biography of Jesus, starting in a chapter we have titled chapter four. And I want to read this story, just 11 verses of it, and see if we can learn something about his reflexes. To set the context in Matthew chapter four, Jesus at this point, has been in the wilderness. He's been in the wilderness for 40 days and he's been fasting for 40 days, okay? So he is tired, hungry, he's likely thirsty and he has before him looking down the road at a approximately three-year ministry that's gonna be exhausting, exciting, in many ways heartbreaking profoundly important 
traveling, teaching, healing, and self-sacrificial ministry. So here he is in that moment, mile 23 of the marathon, if you will, where you care less about the costume you started with, you care less about all of the hype and cheers, you're just like, I need to survive. He's right there, he's raw, he's exposed, and he gets punched in the mouth. He gets punched right in the mouth. Let's read this story. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Bill, thanks for tossing that theological uh, quagmire to me last week to explain exactly how that works. But, but next week, who's preaching? They're going to explain it. They'll explain that whole thing. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Understatement of the year, right? The tempter. Now, the enemy in this particular, um, in the New Testament, it's pretty clear about a few things. You have opposing forces. There are these opposing forces that the people of God face. One is what oftentimes is called the world, and that is essentially shorthand for the world and systems as it operates outside of God's intended glory and will. The world as it operates on its own. That's an opposing force. Another one is called the flesh, right? And this is kind of the part of us. The part of us that's like the rust, the grossness, the leftover junk that drives us into sin and rebellion and just problems. And then there's another enemy. There's a cosmic dimension. One that we're not so hot on in a post-enlightenment Western context, but this idea that there are, there's a cosmic enemy, right? And there, is a, there are opposing spiritual forces. And you do not have to follow Jesus for long to, to encounter, whether more explicitly or less explicitly, these kind of things. Where you're like, wow, there's something more than just a jacked up system here. There's something more than just someone had a bad day. There are spiritual forces at work that are gnarly, right? So this is, these are those sort of three legs of, of, of the enemies that, that come after us. And in this case, Jesus is getting punched in the face by the cosmic enemy. He's called the tempter. He's called the slanderer. He's called and, and hasatan, the, the Hebrew term itself. We get our term Satan. Hasatan literally means the attacker, sometimes translated the accuser, or uh, one scholar I think has made a good case, the executioner. It's this, it's this really aggressive, aggressive title. So the attacker comes to him, verse 14. I'm sorry, uh, verse, verse two again. Uh, I'm sorry, verse three. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. All right, now, Jesus, where are you gonna go? Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus answers, it is written. Verse five, the devil took him, uh, the diabolos, this term means um, the, uh, the, the slanderer. Literally the Greek term diabolo means like when you read Greek texts and they're talking about someone who's accusing someone else, like, you did this, I saw it. You are a, a bad person. You are a stranger. You are not good. That diabolo is literally the verb there. And this is something my wife brings up a lot, and I think it's really good, especially as we're talking to our kids about, like, accusing one another. And the question is, like, who are you lining up with when your life is about accusing other people of things? Like, who are you lining up with? What trajectory is your heart pointing in 
when you make it your divine mission to accuse other people of stuff? Okay, that's a really searching question. So to continue, um, the devil took him to the holy city and stood him on the highest point of the temple. So this visionary journey or what trans-dimensional journey, I don't know how it works, we're not told. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, they'll lift you up with their hands, you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And here he goes out of Deuteronomy 6. So Jesus' instincts, his fallback, his factory settings in, one of the, the, in the furnace of a street fight seem to be to find shelter in the traditions of the house of Israel, to find shelter in the sacred scriptures. That's kind of what comes out of him. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So Jesus, in a street fight, when the, when the stakes are the highest, when he is at the most vulnerable, and you're really going to get a peek into kind of the core of this person, what comes out? When you squeeze Jesus, what oozes out of him? And in this case, what we find out is he, it's translated in Greek from the Aramaic. He was most likely speaking. It's translated gegraptai. Everyone say gegraptai. Let's say that one more time. It's a fun word. It's a, it's a perfect passive uh, a verb. It's fun to say gegraptai. This word actually comes up all over the place in the life of Jesus. It means it is written. It is written. It is written. So for Jesus of Nazareth, if Matthew has him right, which I, I think a great, I, I think he does, and I think there's great reasons to believe that. If Matthew has him right, then in his moment of duress, he is defaulting to scriptures. These are what come out of him. This is how he processes the moment. Um, I went through the entire book of Matthew, and I just said, okay, I'm going to read through the whole thing and I want to see where Jesus brings up scripture in his conversations, in his teachings, in the conflict moments like the one we're seeing here, in the pain points. And I have like a two page, it's like 42, it's a table, real sexy, real fun. Everyone loves a table in a sermon, right? I have a table. If you want to take a picture of it afterwards or have one, I printed a couple, you can grab one. But as it turns out, this isn't for Jesus like a one-off thing. This is actually so imbued in who he was that again and again and again, it comes up like an instinct, like an instinct. I have a buddy of mine who's a police officer, and when we're just hanging out, if I'm just hanging out with him and he's not armed, not a good idea, and I just kind of like quickly reach for his like hip, right? He immediately, he'll just do this like, pop, 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 like this like three-step thing. That's just so part of who he is. It's messed up of me to ever do that. So I'll repent, never do that again. But like, it's so part of him that he is just, as an instinct, it's drilled in. He doesn't have to think about it. It just, boom, right? Like you moms out there, dads drop kids a lot, but you moms out there, right? Maybe it's just me. No, Chris, you drop your kids all the time. He's like a Olympian in dropping kids. So, like moms, you just, 
you whoo, right? You just have your eye on these kids. You have this like superhuman ability, this instinct and reflex that is so part of you that you just know it. It's there. You don't have to conjure it up. And what we find in the life of Jesus and this whole sermon series has been about is his swimming in the ocean of the Hebrew Bible. The fact that he really drew from it again and again. So as followers of Jesus, if that's like our thing, and that's my thing, and that's a lot of y'all's thing. And if you're just checking out today and you're like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What's this all about? You have to vote Republican. Do you have to like, you know, adopt weird clothing styles and put sort of annoying bumper stickers on your car? Like, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, here's what I would like you to at least see, right? It doesn't mean any of those things necessarily. What it means is, at least in this point, part of following Jesus is saying, Jesus, what does your lifestyle look like? What are the things that inform you? How can, I, how can I be more like you? How can I apprentice you, emulate you? And one of those is Jesus just bathes in scripture and it comes out again and again and again. Um, if you hold his life up to the sun, it glimmers scripture. And in this encounter that Jesus has, with the tempter, with the adversary, with the attacker, with the cosmic enemy. He goes to a particular passage, Deuteronomy 6 and 8. And if you, if you ever read through Deuteronomy, it's a great passage. It's a great book to read through. If you read through Deuteronomy, you will notice, especially the front end of the Deuteronomy and the back end of Deuteronomy, it's essentially this. It's a moment where God brought his people out of, wild, of Egypt, out of slavery. They're in the wilderness, and he says to them, listen. Life really is simple, okay? and, and I think this is true for us today. Life is actually so simple with me, and here's what it is. Every situation, every crisis, every opportunity, and more dangerously, more dangerously, every success that you have, you will have a choice. Do I say, Lord, I know your character. I don't know all the details of this situation. It's risky, it's scary, or, or it's, it seems one way, but I know your character. I know what you have done with your people in the past and with me, and I choose to trust you. I'm gonna trust you in this. And I'm, gonna, I'm not just gonna trust you, I'm gonna lean into it, like full on lean into it. You have that opportunity or you have another opportunity, which is this. I will find solutions elsewhere. Or maybe I'll make a little cocktail of you and other stuff and I'll swirl it around and that should work too. And God says every time it's your choice, life or death. Not that God's up there with a giant hatchet waiting to execute you, no. Meaning the paths that you have to choose, whether it's economic, whether it's raising kids, whether it's singleness, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a job, a vocation, a health crisis, whether it's frustration over political stuff, frustration over cultural stuff, whether it's confusion, whether it's feeling deep insecurity, whether it's revisiting old pains and, and getting help and getting healthy, whether it's abuse of things, whatever it is that you're facing, it really does come down to a simple question. Are you going to trust God or are you not going to? Now, please understand, I'm not, I am not saying... The solutions are all easy, and the real world living that out is simple. It can be very complex. I get that. But there's sort of like a heart. If you imagine like your, your body like having like an anchor or like a, a weight in it, 
There's a place where you set that weight and you go, I'm setting it here, boom, while I figure this whole thing out with the Lord. Or I'll set it elsewhere and try to take that route. This is the solution that, or this is the opportunity that Jesus is in and his default is to say, I will not live by food and bread alone. I will live by every word that comes out of God's mouth. I'm going to put myself there, come hell or high water, literally, I will say, I trust you, Lord, and I'm there, and I'm going to sit there. And this is his posture. This is his posture his whole entire life. I want to read one last passage to you, and then tell a story about somebody, and then close. Um, but as I said, I have like, like over 42 slots on this table, and many of those slots represent several quotations where Jesus is like, get grabbed, die, get grabbed, die, get grabbed, die. It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. There's a reason why followers of Jesus tend to obsess about scripture. There's a reason why you and me that follow Jesus like this sacred compilation of ancient Near Eastern and ancient Mediterranean texts. Because our master did. It's what he did. It's how he organized his life. And we say, I'm taking a cue from Jesus in his the temptation was bad, was painful. In Psalm, tw- I mean, in, um, in the end of his life, Matthew 27, if we're sticking to Matthew, end of his earthly ministry, he's on a cross. He's naked. He's exposed to shame. Great, deep, indelible shame from society's perspective. He's naked before hateful eyes. He's just been betrayed by a best friend. And if you've ever faced betrayal before, you know, like, death, you kind of choose. I would choose physical pain any day of the week rather than betrayal. It's really painful. It's really hard to say, I trust God, when all you want to do is just, like that country song, I want to burn this whole town down. If it wasn't for my mama's house, what a good song. You just want to burn the whole town down because you're so frustrated. He faced betrayal. All of his male disciples took off and ran. It's just the women that are nearby. And John shows up, or the beloved disciple, for a second. And he's in pain. And he's got the weight of the world and all the brokenness of humanity and the sin and and oppression and hatred dumped upon him. Where do you go in the furnace of that? What does he do? What's his default? He says a few words. Ele, ele, lama sabachthani. As he's, some of his last words, barely getting the, the sound through his vocal cords. Ele, ele, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's not something he made up. It wasn't part of like a complex scheme that he had been working on. And when I die, I'll say this. Instead, it's like what comes out of him. It was a quotation It was a quotation from Israel's sacred hymn book. We call it the Psalms. That's what comes out of him at the last moment. It's so part of his orientation that in his last breath he's saying, he's quoting Psalm 22. He's he's processing his pain with Scripture. With Scripture. And, okay, my last thing I want to say. We all have those people in life that we want to be when we grow up right? Like, who do you want to be when you grow up? And my, I, I was going to bring a big picture down here, but I, I didn't want it to get all sandy, but I have this giant picture of my grandpa. My grandpa Harris, uh, he died in 2004. Gentle giant, like six foot four, hulking man, 
like totally big dog, went to World War II, fought in the Pacific, came back, opened up a, a music, music store, a couple music stores in Los Angeles, and gentle giant, gentle giant, man of few words, very few words, but maybe the kindest human being I've ever met in my life, and maybe the most joy-filled human being I've ever met. Like, this person is head to toe, full of joy. This guy, Grandpa Harris, every night and every morning, and then oftentimes throughout the day, he would sit there. He had this old King James Bible. If you ever read the King James Bible, right, it's like a lot of these and thous and like kind of complex, but he loved his King James Bible. He'd sit there, kind of balding, right? He was well, totally bald. And he'd sit there, this giant dude, in his comfortable little chair, and we'd be like, oh, we're going to a movie, Grandpa. We'll see you later. And there he's in his chair. And he would put a washcloth on his head. You know how, like, the builder generation, they had these, like, my grandma used to tie a scarf. I get migraines as a kid. She'd tie a scarf around my head and tighten it. That was, like, supposed to be a cure for it. Anyways, I don't know why I'm talking about that. Didn't work. But my grandpa, he would sit there with a washcloth on his head, right? Like, his clothes are kind of, you know, he, he was living on Social Security, never had a lot of money, hit, hit financial challenges throughout his life. He had to file bankruptcy at one point when his business sort of failed. Not someone you look at and say, that is the life. That guy is crushing it, right? He sat there and read his Bible, just page after page after page. And whenever the family was there, we had a big family, he'd always want to gather them around. The, he, he loved the talk. He loved the little kids. He loved all of it. He was most alive and excited when he said, let's gather around. And he'd go, I want to hear what Jesus is doing in your life. Like he would say it like that, Jesus. He just had a way of saying it. He wanted want to hear about it. And it would just delight him so much to hear his kids and grandkids just talk about it. And you know, you're a junior higher, you're, not, you're into Jesus, kind of not into Jesus. And you're like, okay, we got to find something to say, right? And he was just so passionate about the word of God. I had a chance, again, he's a, he's a man that represents masculinity in every way I've ever thought of it like strong, worked with his hands, just a really cool guy. Um, I was able to be in his hospital room day before he passed. He had cancer, got a lot of things going on, and he was thinned down, just thinned down. And you know when you see your grandfather for the first time, not fully clothed, and it's just like, it's kind of a shock to your system, and you see the vulnerability there. And he's laying on the bed, and he's kind of starting, you know, it's at this point, he's losing it. He's starting to just die. It's very clear, and and my grandma, she kept trying to feed him, you know, like she thought like if you just eat something, it'll get better. You know how that, like grandmas are, like you got to eat something. She's like, she's like, Bill, you got to eat, Bill. You got to eat, Bill. And he's like, I'm full. I'm full. I'm full. She's like, you haven't eaten in two days. How are you full? I'm full. And he goes, no, I'm full of love. He just kept repeating, I'm full of love. I'm so full of love. He just kept repeating again and again, I'm full of love. I'm all of love. And my grandma goes, you can't live on love, Bill. <laughs> like, of course. Like, and when he passed, my mom was with them. I wasn't there. It was a nighttime. And he literally said, and, and he goes, let me go. My, my mom and my grandma were there. Let me go. I see him. I'm going to him. It's like this man that in the end of his life, the worst moments, the moments that most of us live kind of half fearing, death. And all he could, all that was coming out of him when his life was squeezed to its last drop was love. He was so full of love. 
and I look at my life, and I look at the journey I want to be on, and I look at all the silly rabbit trails I go down, and all the silly places that I put my heart, and I'm reminded as I read through the life of Jesus, as I look at people like my hero, my grandpa, and I go, that's what I want my life to be about. And it's not something that happens in a moment of inspiration. It's something that little deposits are made every day of just like, where do I want to put my head? Do I want to get in the hornet's nest of a, a debate about masks or no masks? Do I want to spend my day worrying about will that investment return all the money I need it to? Am I getting slighted by my siblings in this inheritance deal? Like, am I going to spend my time conniving about how my boss is not so great or I'm not, maybe I'll get sick. What if I get sick? What if I get sick? Or if I make those small deposits every day of just like, I'm going to open up the word of life and I just want to breathe it in. Just a little bit a day, maybe a lot bit a day. That's what Jesus did. That's what we're invited to do. And when the, when the street fight hits and our instincts are all we got, it's what we've put in daily, little by little that comes out. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we just adore our Father. And we're going to have some communion at the, after the last song. Amanda will set it up, so, so don't, don't rush yet. She'll set it up for you. But just a chance to reflect. And uh, let me pray. And then let's, let's worship the Lord. God, thank you so much that you set, you don't just tell us stuff. You lived stuff out for us. You set an example that we can follow. And you've put people in our lives that are examples of the fullness of human flourishing. And God, I pray for myself selfishly that I would, um, I would stop being seduced by all the silly places to put my time and mind and heart and I can make many, 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 many more small investments in that which matters most. In you, Lord, and in getting your perspective of this world and this thing called life. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as we worship Jesus together this morning. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for your direction in our lives. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you jesus the name above Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you, Jesus. We live for you and holy and holy. There is no one 
together worthy of every song worthy of every song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus 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 the name above Jesus the name above every other name Jesus the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus we live for you holy and holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to the let's sing it again holy and holy Just as Jesus did, Lord, we build our lives on your truth. We build our lives on the word, every single word that comes from your mouth, God. We set a firm foundation on the truth of God in our lives. Let's sing that together and I will build. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation I will put my trust in you alone And I will not be shaken I will build my life upon your love
beside you Open up my eyes in wonder Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me lead us on lord singing one last time i will build my life i will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation i will put my trust in you alone and i will not be shaken in your love Sing holy one last time. Holy, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me. In your love to those around me.
You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. Now seated alone in glory, enthroned on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running. Out of an empty grave, now seated alone in glory, don't on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, now seated alone in glory. Sing one more time, don't on the highest praise. You sent the darkness running out of an empty grave, now seated alone. Thank you, Jesus, that you reign above every darkness, every temptation, every obstacle in our lives, Lord. Whatever relationship it is, maybe our work lives, God, coworkers, Jesus, you reign above it all. And Lord, it's so easy to forget that truth and the chaos and the busyness of life. But you sent the darkness running out of an empty grave. This is the truth that we stand on, that you reign above it all. You are stronger, you are bigger. You see the end from the beginning. So Lord, on this foundation, we remember the price that you paid for us. We partake of the blood and the body poured out and broken for us. This morning, Jesus, we thank you, we honor you, Lord. I'm gonna invite you all to head over to the communion table and we're just gonna continue to sing just a couple more of these choruses as you take communion and then we'll be done for the day. So whenever you're ready, you can 
head over to the table with the elements to my right, my left, your right. 